What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Gamble Ramble. This is SGR 77, and we are finishing up the NFC North. We're breaking down the Detroit Lions. Now, you guys will notice throughout this episode, I will constantly flip back and forth between the pronunciation Detroit and Detroit. Um, someone once pointed out to me that I say Detroit, and it should be Detroit. Uh, I like to say Detroit, but I go back and forth constantly, so it will be an inner struggle for the next uh, 40 minutes or so. That being said, let's jump into the football team that is the Detroit Lions. There we go, already switching back and forth. Um, this team, although they only went 3-13 and and won last year, sneaking in a tie with the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, they covered at an exceptional rate 11 and 6 against the spread 64.7% and that was third best in the NFL. So this is an interesting team to me from a perspective that last year again only winning 3 games, number 2 pick in the draft, but they still kind of managed to exceed our expectations in terms of some of the fight and the grit that we saw from this team and like I said, covering 11 games, their ability to keep it relatively close and not get blown out against teams that were projected to be much better than them, I, I think this team showed some potential, and I think it's a reflection of the coaching staff, the toughness that Dan Campbell has tried to instill in this organization since coming over. I mean, look, you know, they're realistic in that building. They knew it was going to be a rebuild. They actually went and gave Dan Campbell a six-year contract, which for a, a head coach and a, a first-time head coach, it's interesting. It's a big commitment. They usually sign a four- or five-year deal, and honestly, that leash starts getting short around back end of year two, season three for sure if you haven't been winning Dan Campbell, I think, is a guy that this uh, this Lions team wants it to work out with him. I cheer for him. I, the guy is entertaining as fuck um, and just a total football guy. It's like, you know, if Jeff Bridges and Stone Cold Steve Austin were combined into a football coach, like this is that guy. And so I think he'd be a fun coach to play for. And I think this team has something to build around here as far as chemistry, toughness, you know, a culture being um, installed there in Detroit. So, again, not a great team last year, 313 and one. The offense was 25th in points per game, 19.1 points per game, uh, 22nd in yards per game, 322.6. I want to mention real quick, because I do have, you know, some nuggets here, um, that this team went through a pretty drastic offensive change between the first half and the second half. Um, they started out 8 and, excuse me, 0 and 8 in the uh, regular season here and then fired their offensive coordinator, Anthony Lynn. Uh, head coach Dan Campbell took over play calling abilities and uh, over the second half of the season, uh, this offense went from averaging 16.8 points per game to 19.3 points per game. Uh, they also went from averaging 93.1 rushing yards per game to 130.3 rushing yards per game. And that was even with starting running back DeAndre Swift being, uh, you know, uh, hit or miss over the second half of the season there in terms of uh, being 100% healthy and available. 
So pretty interesting. You know, this team was moving the ball really well on the ground over the second half of last season. I think it's, again, part of the toughness and the identity and the culture that Dan Campbell wants to uh, build here. They have the number four ranked offensive line, according to Sharp Football, heading into this season. And we can talk about some of the names later. But, I, I you know, I like the way this team's building through the trenches. So hopefully that 25th ranked offense is better this year. Um, defensively, they were just terrible last year, 31st in points per game, giving up 27.5 and, uh, 29th in yards per game, 379.8. They had a minus four turnover margin. It was tied for 22nd in the NFL. So, you know, again, lackluster statistically, um, able to cover spreads because they were being really disrespected in the gambling market you know, constantly being, you know, upwards of a, of a 10 point double digit underdog. And, um, they would, they would get a lot of backdoor covers, a lot of garbage time stuff, this team, but you know, they were more entertaining to watch than their three and 13 and one record indicates, uh, coaching changes this off season. I mentioned Anthony Lynn got fired halfway through the season last year and they brought in offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, excuse me. He was on the coaching staff already. He's just been promoted to offensive coordinator. Um, he coached college football um, for two years in the late 2000s at Boston College. He was on the Miami Dolphins staff from 2012 to 2018 as an offensive assistant and tight ends coach. Um, he did some work as a wide receivers coach as well and then came over to the Lions in 2019, has been an offensive assistant and tight ends coach. Um, I expect Dan Campbell to call the plays this season. I'm not a hundred percent on it, but he said last year that he'd be open to doing it again. And I think, you know, with the fact that I mentioned the offense was better with him calling the plays, I, I think that's the plan this year. Not a thousand percent. My bad guys. Um, hopefully we find out more because this is the hard knocks team this year. I failed to mention at the beginning of the episode, but again, I talked about how this team is slightly entertaining from a personality perspective and especially at that head coaching spot. And I'm excited to watch hard knocks this year to give, just get all the Dan Campbell content that we can get out of this team. It should be fun. Most people are like, Oh, lions. That's not exciting. I actually was kind of excited when I heard the lions were the hard knocks team this year. Um, so yeah, let's get into the personnel breakdown, not overly active in free agency, not many key losses here for this team. I really only wrote down four names as far as guys that left that were paid, you know, anything close to substantial money outside linebacker, Jalen Reeves, Mabin, uh, strong safety, Dean Marlowe, wide receiver, Kadero Hodge and tight end Nick Eubanks are the only names I wrote down for key losses. So I don't know if you could even really throw the word key in there. Um, not many household names on this Lions team. Most people really only know the players relevant for fantasy football. I get it. Um, again, best unit on this team, offensive line. And people don't really pay attention to those guys. But it's what gives this offense any sort of edge at all, really. Especially last season with not that great of receiving weapons. They did do their best to upgrade those this offseason. And it's a nice transition into the free agency ads, if you'll give me just one second. So DJ Chark was their, uh, <clears throat> I believe, their their main financial investment in free agency this year. He's wide receiver um, out of uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars on his rookie deal. 
Uh, went to LSU, uh, former second-round pick by the Jags. Injured and inconsistent on his rookie deal, he now signs with the Detroit Lions. And, you know, he's technically the third receiver on the depth chart right now. So slotted for, I guess, a starting role, depending on how many three-receiver sets they put out there. But I imagine this to be a run-first team this year. Again, with, um, I mentioned, the kind of uh, offensive uh, philosophical shift at the second half of last year. So wide receiver DJ Chark comes in. Cornerback Mike Hughes comes over from the Minnesota Vikings. Linebacker Chris Board. Uh, Linebacker Jared Davis was on this Lions team and then went to the Jets last year and now comes back to Detroit. Uh, Safety Deshaun Elliott joined the squad. Tight end Garrett Griffin was the last um, addition that I have written down here. So again, not many household names. You guys might know Chark, Hughes, Davis, maybe Elliott, if you're a psycho like me. Um, Let's talk about the draft, because this is really the more, you know, interesting part of their offseason personnel um, section of the podcast here. We've got uh, the first round pick, defensive end Aiden Hutchinson, going uh, number two overall. This was an interesting thing this past offseason. It's always fun to play the game of, um, you know, draft order. Who's going number one overall was a big thing this year because there wasn't a clear-cut number one overall, and the quarterback class obviously lackluster compared to most years. Um, it's typically, you know, the worst team needs a quarterback. So, you know, it's like the Bengals take Joe Burrow, the Jags take Trevor Lawrence pretty obvious there wasn't anything like that this year so early in the uh off season before the combine and the pro days and things like that in hutchinson was the uh front runner to be the number one overall pick after um i believe basically cleaning up all the defensive player awards in college football this past season and being that uh heisman finalist um yeah perfect pick for detroit i mean they get a guy out of university of michigan i believe he played high school football in the state of michigan as well so he's a hometown guy i think it's perfect for that culture um i have my questions a little bit about his athleticism i've heard tj watt comparisons and i just don't see anything close to that high of a ceiling for this guy it's interesting that jacksonville decided to take a guy at the same position with less college production but more athletic upside um so hutchinson i don't i'm not calling him a bust i don't know if he has that high-end superstar potential they're comparing him to just all the dominant white defensive ends in the nfl because he looks like them and i'm just not sure that this guy is on the same level as a TJ Watt, a Nick Bosa, a Joey Bosa, or any of the guys that don't look identical to him. You know, like I'm not putting him in the category of a Miles Garrett either. It's just he's getting those comparisons because that's what that's people are lazy and like it's like whenever you see a white slot receiver, it's like this guy's the next Julian Edelman. It's like that's it's just low hanging fruit, but that's how it goes here, right? Um, round one, they they did some more shit. They they traded up because they had two second round picks going into this draft. They had pick uh, thirty two and thirty four in the second round. Um, so I guess you know last pick of the first round and 30, 34. You guys get it. Anyways, let's move on. Um, Jalen uh, J- Jameson Williams, wide receiver out of Alabama, they had to trade up to get in the first round. So they move up to the number 12 overall pick. They also receive the 46 overall 
from the Minnesota Vikings. And Minnesota, in return, gets picked 32, 34, and 66 in this past draft. So interesting to see two teams in the same division working together here. Um, but the, uh, the Lions make a very aggressive move that really, I think, shocked a lot of people on draft night, surprised the hell out of me. They move all the way up to number 12 and get the um, playmaker, the explosive guy out of uh, Alabama who I think he averaged like fucking 20 yards a catch or something. The guy was ridiculous. He had like eight 50-yard touchdowns or some shit before getting injured. It's insane. Uh, extremely high athletic upside. The question is when will he be healthy because he is rehabbing a lower body injury. Um We'll talk more about him in the fantasy breakdown, uh, but a guy that has insane athletic ability. Round two, defensive end Josh Paschal out of University of Kentucky. Round three, safety Kirby Joseph out of University of Illinois. To round out the substantial draft picks here, um, two additions on that defense as well. So all defense in the top three rounds aside from the wide receiver. So let's talk about what this season is going to look like after, you know, recapping those additions. They have a pretty easy schedule. I like this team to go over their win total. Their win total currently six and a half. And about three weeks ago, July 13th, their over was at minus 110 for the six and a half, under minus 110 as well, because that's usually how it works. Um, as it sits today on August 1st, over six and a half wins, minus 125, under minus 105. Now, this is a thing that we've been talking about specifically in this division because I have been taking win totals on this division so far with the Vikings and the Bears. I'm considering taking a Lions win total here as well on over six and a half. Um, again, you know, I'm hesitant to, to stack up on overs at this point in the season because if you get an injury at a key position, you're pretty much SOL at that point. But... Um, I think that you can see this time of year when these, when these lines are shifting and they, when they get substantial line movement on some of these futures, it's sharp money in the market. Okay. And a big part of what I do is, you know, obviously you have to break down teams and talent and everything like that. Situational handicapping goes into everything, but you also have to be aware of where the money's at. You know, who's betting which sides if you have a pros versus Joe's scenario. If you have an influx of sharp professional money in the market moving lines, you have to be aware of it. You have to be able to diagnose what is sharp money and what is stupid money. And at this point in like late July, early August, there's not that much public money in these futures markets. It's just it's guys like me and guys better than me and guys more invested than me who are throwing down on futures in the last week of July. Like Joe Schmo, who's you know not even looking into his fantasy team at this point in the season. And then you got guys who do this shit either professionally or semi-professionally. They're the ones betting this time of year. So if you can follow these line moves, it's usually a safe bet. You know, when you see odds shift over a two-week period from minus 110 to minus 125, it shows you that the sharp cash is influencing uh, these markets right now. So it's just another, not only do I like it, but it shows you you could potentially be on the right side with the professionals here. So it's always something to consider where the money's at. Um, let's talk schedule real quick. Fifth easiest strength of schedule, according to my sources. They start out with a loss because they play the Eagles. 
Um, although to be honest, when I saw the Eagles open with the Lions, I was actually like, fuck, that's like kind of worst case scenario because you're like a scrappy underdog team like this that's trying to build a culture and say, hey, we're going to shock the world and it starts week one at home versus Philly. It's kind of a trap game almost if you can have a trap game scenario in week one. Hopefully the Eagles stay grounded and they stay um, disciplined and they don't look ahead on their schedule, um, which again, difficult to really have a look ahead spot in week one because hopefully you're coming in you know, ultra focused for that start of the season. But it's concerning to me that it's like in Detroit, it's not a rivalry game. This could be an overlooked team. It's kind of a weird spot. Anyways, let's not take too much time on that just because I'm an Eagles fan. The schedule is home versus Philly, versus Commanders, at Vikings, versus Seahawks, at Patriots, at Cowboys, versus Dolphins, versus Packers, at Bears, at Giants, versus Bills, versus Jags versus Vikings, at Jets, at Panthers, versus Bears, at Packers. So let's go through that. They have a week six bye, which is in between the Cowboys and Dolphins game in October. No, it's not. It's in between the Patriots and Cowboys game, which is actually a good spot for a bye if you're the Lions, I guess, just from an opponent standpoint. But it is early in the season, which kind of sucks. Anyways. I kind of broke this uh, schedule down into, you know, shit teams and then the kind of in the middle, maybe they have to steal one teams and then the teams they're probably not going to beat. So Seattle, Seahawks, Giants, Bears twice, Jags, Jets, Panthers. None of those teams should be world beaters, although maybe the Panthers are a little better this year. Maybe the Jags aren't the worst team in the league, but Again, good situations, winnable games. That's seven right there that I just mentioned. Then you have the games, maybe they can steal one. Um, Washington, uh, Philly, Dallas, New England, Miami. And then, you know, they're probably not going to beat the Bills. They're probably not going to beat the Packers. The situation where they steal one against the Packers is, you know, again, if the Packers don't need to play their starters um, week 18, uh, because that's how the Lions beat them last year. What I'm saying is over six and a half wins, this team can go seven and ten this year. I mean, they won three and thirteen they went three and thirteen and one last year, but again, eleven and six cover rate. It it shows me that this team has the ability to fight. And I think that they want to build on what they started last year. Um <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm telling you guys to take over on futures with teams um led by Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins, which if you talked to me three, four years ago, um, I think I might have slapped the future of myself in the face. Like, this is weird to me because I'm not a fan of these guys personally, and I've talked shit about them through the majority of their careers. Jared Goff's not that bad. He's not great, but it's like he's going to be the starter for this team. He's going to be, like, better than a lot of bad guys that are starting for other teams, like, to be honest. And... uh you know, this team showed a lot of fight this year, so I think that they can get it done as far as going over the six and a half. Um, I will say that, you know, none of their other futures really have much of a shot. This team's not ready to make the playoffs. There's just too many better teams. They're, they're still, they're a ways away. Like, Jared Goff's really more of a, a bridge quarterback, and they'll probably have to invest in a more talented guy, a younger guy, if they want to take this team to the next level, but... Um, divisional odds are plus 850, and I don't see it with the Vikings and Packers still being better. 
Um, conference odds, 55 to one, Super Bowl 100 to one. Like, let's just not our, not waste our time. Their odds alone to make the playoffs are over four to one. So let's just not mess around with it. But if you're telling me I can get over six and a half wins for this team with that easy of a schedule, I'll jump. I'll jump on that for sure. If you're going to attack the Lions, that's the way to do it. They'll also probably cover like crazy again this year. It's weird. You know, I'm not going to make the comparison. Well, I guess I'll make the comparison, but I'm not telling you it's going to happen. It's not identical. I saw with the Bengals, not this past year, but two years ago in Joe Burrow's rookie year, um, not winning games, but covering like crazy. And it, I think it's an indication, again, I don't see this Lions team jumping into a division winner in a Super Bowl appearance because they don't have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase that the Bengals did, um, and they haven't made it as substantial personnel upgrades on the defensive side of the ball either as the Bengals have. But what I'm saying is you see a team, you know, with a young head coach, unestablished culture, fighting, covering, and then next year it translates into more wins. I mean, I, I see that as a logical kind of evolution for this uh this Lions program that's, again, looking to establish a culture and some um, symbolism of consistency here. So let's talk fantasy. We have a few names to go over here. Honorable mentions first, backup quarterbacks Tim Boyle. Running back Craig Reynolds is third on the depth chart. He saw a few snaps last year, limited playing time. There's three wide receivers in the honorable mentions. Uh, wide receiver Josh Reynolds, who Dan Campbell, for some reason, has nicknamed the Praying Mantis. I didn't really look into why. Um, he's the fourth receiver on the depth chart. Wide receiver Quintez Cephas and wide receiver Khalif Raymond are both guys that have made random splash plays in the past and you should be aware of. Um, most likely a fantasy vulture for you if you invest in this receiving core, nothing consistent. And then backup tight end is uh, Brock Wright, who I am hearing about for the first time right now. So the guys we're going to talk about are Jared Goff, DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown, a.k.a. the Sun God himself, wide receiver Jamison Williams, the rookie, and then free agent edition DJ Chark. We got a tight end, TJ Hawkinson, as well, that we're going to talk about. So Jared Goff, being drafted 184, quarterback 28 this year, slight improvement last year going 327, quarterback 33, finished last year as the quarterback 24 on the year in 14 games, 25th in points per game, has the 11th easiest fantasy schedule for quarterbacks i'm not really interested in jared goff it's it, it's it he does have better fantasy value than most people consider I, last year a lot of garbage time led to a lot of you know bonus yards late in games uh this is a team with a bad defense i don't you know i'm not overwhelmed by the personnel additions on defense i don't expect them to really be a top 20 unit immediately again this year so likelihood of detroit having to score to keep up with teams is high in my opinion um, but Goff is not a guy in most standard leagues you're looking at. He's a guy you're just going to consider as your QB2 in a you know, two-quarterback or a super flex or whatever fucked-up leagues you guys are playing in these days. Uh, best ball guy, honestly, good best ball quarterback. If you guys do any of those where you don't have to set your roster, you just draft and uh, you get the optimal points each week, 
Goff's a guy you can get essentially for free. In best ball, sometimes a decision or a strategy you want to implement is just to punt the QB position, load up on running backs and receivers early, and then just grab like two or three mediocre quarterbacks, two or three mediocre tight ends, and hope one of them goes off on any given week. You know, with your tight ends, you're just kind of playing Russian roulette who's going to score the touchdown this week. And then, you know, you can pair a couple. Like, to be honest, if you have Carson Wentz and Jared Goff as, like, your best ball QBs, maybe you throw another guy in there, uh, Justin Fields with his rushing ability. Like, I'm not interested in any of those guys for my fantasy team this year, but if you're telling me you just need one out of three odds of one of those guys to post, like, a top six or seven quarterback week on any given week you know upsides there because their defenses should be bad and they should have to score to you know sustain relevancy for their team um he finished top six quarterback on the week just once last year 7.1 percent 30th ranked in the nfl finished the top 12 qb 21.4 percent 32nd in the nfl finished qb2 42.9 percent so that's what i'm talking about with that best ball slash qb2 format and he busted outside of the top 24 35.7% of the time um you know people i guess to to close the conversation on golf i think he's firmly the starter this year um this team drafted a quarterback and i can't even remember why can't i remember who they drafted um did they not did they not no, they didn't draft a quarterback. I was confusing. For some reason, I thought they took Desmond Ritter, but he went to the Falcons. They didn't draft a quarterback, so there's no competition. Never mind. This team might draft a QB next year, um, but uh, Jared Goff's job is safe. So, waste of time there. Let's move on to the running backs, and this is where there could be some serious fantasy value this year. DeAndre Swift's a guy that you know the fantasy community is really getting behind i'm getting behind as well i had him on one of my teams last year and i actually it was lucky for me i picked the right time to trade him before he struggled with some injuries played 13 games last year um but he got off to a really hot start he was a really strong fantasy asset early in the season and looks to be like a potentially elite fantasy running back if he can stay healthy and not to call him injury prone, we've only seen it once, but I'm just saying it's a big if, it's a if with every player. DeAndre Swift's being drafted 12th overall in fantasy this year as a high-end second-round pick, eighth running back off the board, and that's a reflection, again, of his high usage and high production last year, especially in the passing game we saw a lot from DeAndre Swift last year. And again, it makes sense with the garbage time format of like half the Lions games that they're going to have to pass more than run. And a lot of checkdowns, you know, teams playing that prevention fence zone defense, you're just going to keep checking it down to your explosive running back and let him keep chipping away. And so that's where a lot of his fantasy points came. You know, it's a question if this team is more competitive, if they're winning more games. Again, I think they win seven, not three. Uh, does some of that second half passing volume kind of drop off for DeAndre Swift? That's something to keep your eye on. Uh, however, the talent is there. The opportunity is there. I do see him taking a larger um, workhorse uh, role in this offense. The other running backs, Jamal Williams, and he was kind of obnoxious at stealing opportunities, actually outrushing DeAndre Swift in a few games last season. Um, which was frustrating for fantasy owners. Again, Swift really relying on that pass-catching ability to, to uh, create opportunity. But I think Swift, uh, going into his third year here, this team uh, needs to make him um, 
possibly the main focal point of this offense. So I'm not really afraid of the draft cost. I think a second round pick is fair for a guy that can finish in that top 10 running back group and potentially top five if all things go right. I mean, Joe Mixon was a top four guy last year that not many people saw coming. Austin Eckler as well. It happens at the running back position. He finished running back 20 last year despite only playing 13 points per uh, 13 games. He finished 20th in points per game as well. Excuse me, he finished running back 23 last year. He was being drafted running back 20. My bad. Anyways, the running backs have the seventh easiest schedule for fantasy in Detroit. And again, I think that just provides a strong argument for why DeAndre Swift could be a massive breakout this year. Consistency-wise, i got to figure out a way to mute myself when I'm taking my water breaks. I'll figure it out, guys. Consistency-wise, DeAndre Swift, top 12 running back 30.8% of the time, 20th ranked. Uh, running back two, also 30.8% of the time, 20th ranked. That created a top 24 finish, 69.2% of the games he played. That was the 11th best rank in the NFL. So this guy's giving you top 24 running back production at a top 12 rate. He did not finish as a running back three at all last year. Did bust out of the top 36 another 30% of the time. Uh, But all in all, you know, strong, very strong. I think I might have missed a decimal place there. I think he finished RB2 38% of the time. Doesn't matter. You guys get it. About a two-thirds top 24 finish. Jamal Williams, um, I mentioned being kind of annoying last year. He's being drafted 52nd at the running back position this year, 152 overall, being drafted 40th at RBs at 111 overall last year. So he's fallen back because people expect Swift to get more love. I agree. Um, Finished RB 41 in 13 games as well last year, 44 in points per game. Not interested in Jamal Williams. Uh, Maybe an interesting handcuff, but I actually, I don't think it's a running back uh, workhorse situation, even if he, you know, if something happens to Swift, knock on wood. Um, I don't think Williams sees, you know, just workhorse role immediately like a guy like Alexander Madison does for the Vikings. I think Craig Reynolds gets involved, and I think they go committee if Swift goes down. It'll already be a slight committee, but I think it's more of like a 70-30 split this year as opposed to what was almost like a 55-45 last year. Um, yeah, Williams finished top 12 once last year, finished, uh, top 24, only 23.1% of his games, 57th best busted outside of the top 36, 53% of his games. And I expect his role to be smaller this year. Not interested for fantasy, uh, maybe a best ball pick again, because if Swift goes down, Williams could be a very good fantasy, uh, asset, I think, but it's not a guy that I'm drafting in a redraft or a keeper, or anything like that. Waiver wire guy. If Swift goes down, you you battle to the death with the rest of your league to grab him off the waivers. Uh, wide receivers, you know, this conversation should go quickly, I think, because a couple of these guys don't have consistency metrics. DJ Chark is the third receiver on the roster. He only played like three and a half games last year, so... Like, throw his data out the window. Also, that was in the Jaguars' offense last year. He's on Detroit now. Different system. We don't know what DJ Chark's role is going to look like, but they did spend substantial money on him. They have more invested financially in him than Amon Ross St. Brown, who's penciled in as the number one right 
now. So if we don't see Amon Ross St. Brown really um, repeating the success he had at the end of last season and DJ Chark is getting open, it's interesting how we could see kind of the target share um, fluctuate in this offense. That said, I'm a believer in Amon Ross St. Brown's talent. I had him on my fantasy team last year at the end of the season, and he was winning me games and matchups almost single-handedly, really a monster at the end of uh at the end of the last season, as I go ahead and Google his stats game by game, we can look into it a little bit more because I failed to do that. But the guy was a target monster over the second half of the season. His uh, his stats last year, 90 receptions, 912 yards, five touchdowns. And that was, that was really over the first 10, 11 weeks of the season you know, averaging like three or four targets a game, just not great. Um, over the last six games of the season, his targets and receptions, 10 catches on 12 targets, eight on 12 targets, eight on 11 targets, nine on 11 targets, eight on 11 targets, eight on 10 targets. His yards, 86, 73, 90, 91, 111, 109, and he had five touchdowns. So he only scored five touchdowns on the season, but they were all over the last six games of the season. Um, again, I mentioned that this offense got better over the second half of the season. He was a big part of it, as well as the better uh, run pass um, you know, balance and the effectiveness of the running game and that offensive line really being put to work. Um, again, I see this as a run first team and the offensive line being the main identity of this really entire team on the field and on paper. Um, but Amon Ross St. Brown is a guy that I believe in. I think he can be another, uh, really effective PPR guy. And especially with the rookie Jamison Williams, you know, I don't know what his injury timetable looks like. It's one of the things where I'm, I can't really give you guys like medical insight. I'm not a doctor. So it's just about me kind of doing my best to follow along with the Twitter updates and stuff like that. And I don't know when Jamison Williams is going to be healthy or if he comes back to his like explosive self right away in his first year here. There could be a rookie learning curve or he could come out like Jamar Chase and just fucking explode all across the league. I don't I don't really know. I think Amon Ra's pretty safe. That said, I don't know if I love him at his draft cost. So let's talk ADP. He's being drafted in like the sixth round of your drafts. Um, 20th overall receiver at 56 overall player. He was relatively undrafted last year, wide receiver 67. I said, you know, fourth round pick in 2021 rookie year explodes over the last six games of the season and finished wide receiver 21 despite being irrelevant for the first 12 games of the season. Technically played 16 games, 26 in points per game. But it, again, guys, really a tale of two two seasons here for Amon Ross St. Brown. I don't know if I can advise you to take him in the sixth round. I think there's other guys that I like, you know, in more pass-happy offenses at that point in my draft. I'm not crazy about it. I, I really like the player, but to me, there's a lot of vagueness as far as where the targets will be distributed in this offense. I don't know if they'll be as pass-heavy as last year. TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift are two of the better pass catchers at their respective positions. And the addition of Chark and Williams this offseason, I think, could take away from some of that volume. And if we don't see the volume that he was getting, again, like 12 targets a game over the last month and a half, I'm not sure 
that he returns on that sixth round pick. Unfortunately, I love Amon Ross St. Brown. I call him the sun God. And if you guys don't get that, sorry for not explaining it sooner. Um, Amon Ra is the the Egyptian god of the sun, and he was named after him. The 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 Saint Brown family's fucking awesome. Like the older brother I mentioned, I, I think on the Packers episode, his name's Equinemius. This guy's name is Amon Ra. I think they have a brother named Quintorpheus or something like that. Um, let's look up the names while we're talking about all that shit. Let's see. Amon Ross St. Brown, um, Equinemius St. Brown, Osiris St. Brown. Who else? Sorry, guys. Dead air here, but this is kind of fun for me. Anyways, let's move on. They have some crazy names, and the Sun God, you know, that's a nickname that's going to stick here. Unfortunately, I don't know if the Sun God returns on his six-round draft cost. Jameson Williams... Being drafted 140 overall, wide receiver 58. DJ Chark just ahead of him, 139 overall, wide receiver 57. I'm not drafting Chark. I'll take the shot on Williams, the rookie, with more upside. Again, it's a thing where, you know, take a look at where the targets are going over the first couple weeks of this season and maybe try and adjust. Like, don't get Tate clock on Amon Ross St. Brown being the bona fide number one receiver for this team because he was a fourth-round pick and they have more money on two other guys at the same position. Unfortunately, you know, I love Amon Ra. Again, I'm a huge fan. Um, but don't get overly invested because the team financially is not overly invested, I guess, is what I'm saying. Follow the cash. Follow the cash. Um, Williams, rookie, you know, no draft data last year, no consistency rankings. Chark only playing four games coming over from another system. Again, no consistency rankings. Amon Ross St. Brown, on the other hand, top 12 receiver, 29.4% of his games. Again, despite only really being a starter for six games. 16th highest top 12 finish last year. It really is insane the numbers he was putting up over the back end of the season to fluff his overall seasonal statistics. Uh, he never finished wide receiver two, however, um, so those weeks that he didn't boom, he didn't give you much. Uh, his top 24 finish was 39th best. Uh, finished a wide receiver 3, 17.6%, and busted 52.9%. Again, that's just because he wasn't getting the snaps. He wasn't getting the targets. Kind of throw out those consistency rankings. If you believe in the talent of Amon Ross St. Brown, which I do, I guess, okay, I'm not going to say that. What I'm going to say is I believe in the talent. I don't love the situation for him, and I don't love the draft cost. If he was like an eighth-round pick or later, I'd take the shot. I think six might be a little too early, considering some of like the receivers on there that that are just going to see more opportunity this year, I think. 17th schedule for fantasy receivers in Detroit. Let's wrap it up with the tight end conversation. TJ Hawkinson's a guy that was a monster for the first few weeks of the season, kind of fell off, um, but still, you know, one of the more talented tight ends in the NFL. First overall tight end drafted in his draft class and top 10 pick, I believe, number nine, I believe, overall to Detroit. Uh, Detroit loves drafting uh, tight ends in the first round, if you guys didn't know. F they fucking live for it over there. Brandon Pettigrew, uh, TJ Hawkinson, and uh, Eric Ebron over the last uh, 15 years or so. Um, Hawkinson's going like seventh round for you. It's not a terrible draft cost for one of the better tight ends. 
<clears throat> seventh overall at the tight end position, 68th overall, being drafted sixth tight end last year. So not that much of a change. Again, kind of dropped off at the midway point in the season. Finished overall wide receiver, excuse me, tight end 15 last year because he only played 12 games. Sixth in points per game, however. So that's a good sign. Again, being drafted seventh tight end, finished sixth in points per game last year. It's all pretty fair consistency. He's top seven tight end as well with uh, the seventh highest top six finish rate, 33.3%. Seventh highest top 12 finish rate at 50% of his games. He's given you top 12 tight end production, which is pretty good. Uh, tight end two, 25% of the time. Busted out of the top 24, 25% of the time. He got by on volume as well, and it was interesting to see as more of the passing work went to the ancillary pieces in this offense and the running backs. Hawkinson, you know, losing volume, um, lost fantasy value as well. And it is, um, it's also interesting to me that this, you know, this team was so, the weapons were so limited that teams were really able to like zero in on Hawkinson and double team him. Hopefully that's not a thing this year with the um, invested talent at the wide receiver position. He can get more one-on-ones, which could be good for him. But again, more competition for targets. So I don't necessarily know how that evens out. Um, We should see some touchdown regression as well. I don't think he was doing much in the red zone last year. So Hawkinson's a guy I'm not totally in love with from fantasy because, again, I think the target share gets diluted this year. But as a seventh-round pick with top five tight end upside, you could do a lot worse, I guess. I, I, I just don't know if that's my favorite spot in drafts to take a tight end. I'm still probably looking to take receivers at that point. So, yeah, he is a monster, though. He's super talented. He's really He's got a potential to be one of those like freak tight ends that just bully people. So I'm not saying don't draft Hawkinson. I'm just maybe not in love with it because, again, I think – I think the ball gets spread uh, pretty thin in this offense between how much volume the running backs are going to get in the passing game, the three receivers that, again, who knows where the target shares go, and then the tight end, It's not he's not as locked and loaded for as much vo- volume this year, I don't think. So that's it. I can't wait until Hard Knocks. I think that starts August 9th, so we'll get plenty of Lions content coming at us. Um, before we end this episode, I want to mention the hall of fame game is this Thursday. So we actually have preseason football coming up in just three days here. That's awesome. And obviously if you are listening to this, um, whenever I release it Monday or Tuesday this week, haven't made my mind up probably Tuesday. Uh, yeah, Deshaun Watson news came out on Monday this week. Sue Robinson has decided that she is recommending six games as a suspension to the NFL. Now, as far as my knowledge on the situation goes, it is really more or less a suggestion. Roger Goodell in the league office has final say, so they can choose to add or subtract games. Um, I believe both sides of the case have the ability to appeal this to the league office as well. So we're not totally out of the woods as far as the legal situation and the final um uh, suspension slash like results and decision, but we're looking at six games right now. And I, 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 I think I'm going to start my, uh, AFC North, um, preview this week. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to give you guys the Bengals next and we'll, we'll work through the AFC North. Cause now that I at least have a baseline of it's most likely going to be six games, 
I think I can work through that stuff. Again, I have the ability to change my mind whenever the fuck I want. Y'all don't control what I do. Don't forget it. But that said, we might do the AFC North next. So, uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's keep moving. Let's have some fun. Thank you guys for listening. I will be back um, and obviously do my best to break down that whole Watson situation. We'll talk uh, AFC champs Bengals next. Thank you and ramble on.